Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. The Word of the Lord says this in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to pause there. We'll, we'll talk about it in just a moment. But this is the beginning of all that happened on that Tuesday on the Passion Week of Jesus. And so we're studying this week. Next week we'll look at Wednesday and Thursday. And it'll lead us into Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. What did Jesus teach? What did he do? Today, if you're taking notes for a church that loves to take notes, we love to learn together. But today, I want to talk to you from this title, this topic. I've got a question. I've got a question. And uh, let's look at this day full of teachings from Jesus, what he said, and how it can help us to get to know him better. Let's pray. And then the worship team will join us, and we'll sing one more time. Worship was phenomenal, by the way. And so I encourage you to get here 30 minutes before service, check in your kids, grab some coffee, get in here. You cannot miss worship. It is absolutely beautiful. And so we'll worship one more time, and then we'll go hang out outside in the front patio. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace and your compassions. God, that they are made new each and every single day. Thank you for Calvary Church. Thank you for every single person in the building, in the auditorium, in additional seating. Thank you for every single person connected. Thank you for every service, all that call this place home. God, that you would help us to see you today in a brand new way. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Passion Week. Thank you for the passion of the Son as today it creates passion in our soul to live for you. God, I pray that today you would heal, you would minister, you would talk to us, help us, heal us, free us to live for you. We thank you and we love you. And it's in the name of Jesus that all of Calvary Church says? Amen. Come on, all of Calvary Church says? Amen. Can we make some noise for Jesus one more time? Come on. <laughs> Author William Ernest Henley wrote a very famous poem in the year 1875 that went around the world and to this day it is still quoted by many and talked about by many. The poem that Henley wrote is called Invictus and Invictus is the Latin word for unconquerable or a person that overachieves and can overcome anything in their life. Invictus was the poem that he wrote now, Mr. Henley 
since he was young, went through a bunch of tragedies and heartache in life that he himself had to overcome. At the age of 12, he got an infection in his leg, and they had to amputate one of his legs. And obviously, at the age of 12, that's a difficult thing to go through. Later on in his later years of life, his other leg started to have massive problems, was possibly going to be amputated as well, but he overcame that with an incredible doctor's help, and so he became an overachiever. And there was this notion in his life of feeling forgotten by the divine, is what they mentioned. He felt as if God was not there because he went through heartache and pain. And so when he writes this poem, Invictus, it's with this tone of animosity toward God, being angry toward God because he wasn't there for him, and he wasn't there in his toughest, darkest moments of life. And so the last stanza of the poem, it reads like this. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Does not matter. There possibly might not be no divine being. I alone am the captain of my soul. I am the own master of my fate. As I read this, poem, it it really resonated, I think, with myself and with all of us human beings. Humanity has this tendency, this inclination to want to be the drivers of our own life, and there is no divine authority or anybody that can tell us anything. We are the captains of our own soul. We are the masters of our own fate. Can't nobody tell me nothing. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the challenges I've faced. You don't know the heartache I've had to overcome. So I alone am going to drive my own life. I'm the captain of my soul, the master of my fate. I control me. What we do not want is somebody to interfere or disrupt our life. One of the things that humanity has is that we do not like interferences or disruptions. In fact, our phone now has an option that is called do not disturb because we don't like being disturbed. This morning, I woke up five o'clock in the morning. Baby Aria is asleep. She's been fighting a cold all week, has not been able to sleep. We finally got her to sleep a really good night last night. So this morning as I wake up, I'm trying to take a shower and open up drawers and trying to get ready in pitch black. Diana's like, don't you dare turn on one light because if you disturb her sleep, this baby is going to cry her head off. And so I don't know what I'm picking out. I have no idea where I'm at. Diana's like, shh. Don't disturb, because if you disturb this baby, you know what's going to happen. That baby is going to scream and yell because she has not had a good... Don't you disrupt her sleep. Isn't it funny that same attitude when we're infants follows us in our life? Don't you disturb me as a teenager, mom. Dad, don't you tell me what to do. I know know who my friends are. They got my back. Don't tell me I have to wear no seatbelt, mom. I look cool leaning back. (laughs) We don't want nobody to tell us anything. And then we get into adulthood. And come on, those same tendencies follow us. Don't tell me how to live my my life. Don't tell me how I should live my marriage. Don't tell me how I should raise my kid. Definitely don't tell me how I should spend my money, Arnold, and how I should tithe. (laughs) Can't nobody tell. It's the ego, by the way. And all of us have an ego on the inside, and we don't like it when people mess with the ego. 
Be careful with the ego. In fact, I believe the ego, what it does is that the ego overestimates your strengths, but yet underestimates your needs. The ego would tell you you are smart enough, strong enough, can't nobody interfere with your life. You are the smartest person in the world. Rule your life however you want. You are the captain of your soul, the master of your faith. But it will underestimate your need for people in your life. And every single one of us, no matter how strong or smart or intelligent or focused we are, we need people in our life to pray for us, to help us, to mentor us, to coach. Anybody glad for coaches you've had, pastors you've had? Come on, we need some people in our lives. I'm glad that I have my parents around, that I've had pastors around, that I've had leaders around to help me live my life. Because your ego is not your amigo. (laughs) You're welcome. God bless you. (laughs) Your ego would tell you, don't listen to nobody. Don't get advice from nobody. You got this on your, I'm the captain of my soul. I'm the master of my life. One of the things that we love is control. I want to control my life. I want to control my decisions. I want to control what, whatever my feelings tell me, I want to do that. Whatever urges I have, whatever thoughts I have, don't tell me how to live my life. I want to control everything. And the bottom line is that we can't control everything. And the moment we try to control everything, you're just going to find more anxiety and more stress in your life. The minute some of us begin to lose control of some areas of our life, you know what we do? We lose our peace. I put it this way. No control, no peace. Well, I don't have control of this area anymore. There's some interference. Somebody is disrupting the way I'm living my life and my peace is gone. Some of us here today, we have no peace. We have no hope because you are still trying to control everything in your life. You don't let nobody in. You don't get no wisdom. You don't get no counsel because I am in control of everything and you've lost peace because sooner or later, life happens to all of us and we realize we are never really in control. But I thank God for the greater captain and the greater master of my soul and my faith. Come on, his name is Jesus. Anybody glad? Come on, that we have one that he leads us, he takes us. Oh, come on, he is in control. He's got us in the palm of his hands. Come on, I'm thankful for Jesus, that he's always the one that's leading me and guiding me. As long as I surrender. That's the word we don't like to talk about. As long as we go, Jesus, he's my leader. Surrender that area of your life. No. Surrender. I put it this way today. A surrendered life is a successful life. The more we surrender, the more you'll win in life. Oh, God, I surrender this area of my life. God, I surrender. But we don't like to surrender. I'll give Jesus my worship. Jesus, I love singing with the Sunday choir at Calvary Church. But can you surrender that alcohol addiction you have? No, no, this is mine. and I got it. I got it under control. I don't need to surrender that. I'm I'm good. I don't drink that much on Tuesdays. Uh, But I won't surrender the rest. Can you surrender that pornography addiction you have? No, no, this is mine. Can you surrender your marriage issues and let God? No, no. Can you surrender your money? No, 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 not my money. I give him my heart. I give him everything, but not my wallet because I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. I, I can't. <laughs> but a surrender life is a successful life. When we finally throw our hands up and we say, God, I don't, I don't understand and I can't control everything. And he gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus is is going to go into some profound teachings 
on this Tuesday. This is now day three of the Passion Week. We've been studying the Passion Week of Jesus. We've been studying what happens in the final week of Jesus' life. And, and I love it. I hope you really are studying on your own. I hope you're opening up the Gospels and seeing what's happening in the life of Jesus on these final days. Because Jesus, he is about to get to this third day. And this third day, it must have been the most exhausting day for Jesus because he taught literally from sunup to sundown. In fact, it's going to be the last time that he teaches in the temple. And what he teaches we have to lean in and listen to because Jesus is the most historical polarizing figure that ever lived. Everybody knows Jesus. And, and if there's somebody this important, we should lean in to see what they say on the final days of their life. We lean in to see what celebrities say, what geniuses say, what athletes say. How much more the, the risen Savior. Come on, we should lean in and say, what, what does Jesus say? And we should really study the Passion Week because it should create a passion life in us. Like, how could Jesus, with just a few days away from being horribly crucified, literally bleeding out to the point that they ripped them open, that you could see his bones, how could he teach and be compassionate and kind? He's a few days away from being betrayed, yet he's loving the world. Yeah. Come on, that, that alone is a lesson for you and I. If we knew somebody was going to backstab us in two days, I'll backstab them first. <laughs> Don't judge me. He'll do the same thing. <laughs> Him knowing that he's loving, kind, and compassionate, prays for his enemies, teaches. Jesus is absolutely incredible. He's prepared for this final moment of life. Sunday, he wakes up. What does he do Sunday? He grabs a donkey and he rides it on a donkey. It's Palm Sunday. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Basically, declaring himself as king, and they know it because the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin, they know the prophecy from Zechariah that the one that comes riding on the donkey is the king. And so Jesus is basically declaring himself as king. That's Sunday. Monday, he goes looking for spiritual fruit, and he finds a fig tree that only has leaves and no fruit. He goes into the temple, and they've absolutely destroyed the temple, rearranged his purposes and mission, and that's when he cleans out the temple, and he basically condemns the tree and the temple. That's what we talked about last week. Now, he goes back to Bethany. Remember, Bethany is a small town that's about two miles away. He goes back up to Bethany with his friends, his disciples, and he's hanging around with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. He wakes up on this Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning, he goes on the way back into Jerusalem. And so they're on a trip together. They see the tree that he cursed the day before. That's where he gives a lesson that we talked about last week, early Tuesday morning. But then he enters the temple. Get it? We're on day three. He enters the temple, and there he begins to teach all around the temple. He walked while he taught, and he taught while he walked. And so he's surrounded by people. I mean, the fame around Jesus at this point is at an all-time high. It's Passover week, meaning Jerusalem, it's a festival. It's Cayocho on steroids. This thing is packed. Everybody's in Jerusalem because it's a big, big week. They know who Jesus is because word has gotten out that Jesus is there. He's the same one that raised Lazarus from the dead a week and a half before. And so what happens? The religious leaders, you know what they're plotting? They're plotting to kill Lazarus, what the Bible says. They're like, we got to get rid of this evidence. This man was dead, and Jesus brought him back to life. They know that just two miles away in Bethany, outside of Lazarus' house, is ABC, CBS, and TMZ. And everybody's like, you were dead. How did it feel? He's like, I was dead, bro. <laughs> and How'd you come back alive? I don't know. Somebody called my name. His name is Jesus. And when he calls your name, come on, everything comes back to life. And people are like, I was... Some people are there now. I was there when they buried him. I don't know how he's wild. Like, it's wild. And so they literally are plotting to kill Lazarus because he's bringing too much attention on Jesus. 
And now he goes next level. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and Sanhedrin, they're mad at Jesus because he's getting too much attention. He's disrupting, interfering with their plans. All the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they got this under control. They're basically paid off by Rome to control the people and to control the religious atmosphere. The last thing they need is anybody disrupting their programs, disrupting their traditions, because they got a hold on everything. But when Jesus shows up, he changes everything. And they're getting antsy, they're getting angry, they're getting aggravated, annoyed because somebody has stepped in that is going to change the game forever. His name is Jesus. And he's flipping tables and he brings out a whip and he's teaching things like if you want to be great, you must first be a master. And if you want to, I mean, you must first be a slave. And if you want to be the first, you first got to be last. I mean, everything that he teaches is opposite of how they're living and what they're teaching. And so they're angry. Somebody is disrupting our life. When Jesus shows up, everything has to change. That's why today, as soon as you hear the message of Jesus, it causes something on the inside because you have to make a decision. Either I live for him or I ignore him and I say he's not Lord. He changes that. Anybody glad that Jesus, he steps in, he changes lives. Oh, come on. He grabs a heart of stone and he turns it into a heart of flesh. He grabs a depressed soul and he turns it into a heart of joy. Jesus steps in. And the sick get healed, the lame begin to walk, the blind can see. Jesus changes everything. He'll step in your life. He'll step in my. We need Jesus in our city. We need Jesus in our schools. We need Jesus in our country because everything has to change when he shows up. Come on, if he changed your life, why don't you give him a praise? Come on. Come on, he's a good God. Some of us. Some of us were lost until he stepped in. We don't know which way was up, which way was down. Some of us were getting ready to drive off the cliff of our moral lives until Jesus showed up and turned our life upside down, which is really right side up. Come on, because when he shows up, everything changes. Some of you today, you need Jesus to show up in your life. Some of us here, we were drinking until we couldn't feel anymore. Some of us here were stuck in bondage, and we were so blind until Jesus showed up. Some of us in here, we were cheaters, liars, drunks. Our life was a mess until Jesus showed He's the great disruptor. C.S. Lewis calls him the transcendental interfere, meaning he transcends everything and interfere. He'll interfere with your politics. He'll interfere with your relationships. He'll interfere with every area of our life. Some people don't like that. Most people don't like most, most of us don't like that because it messes with our sin nature. Jesus, don't you tell me what to do. And so the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, political leaders of that day and time, they're like, mm, here comes Jesus again. It's Tuesday. He walks into the temple, and he begins to teach. And everything that he's teaching goes against what they're doing. And so they're like, we got it. We're going to kill him. This is what we're going to do. We're asking some questions. Trap him. And that way we kill him. And so they go up to Jesus. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. We just read this. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. And they said, uh, excuse me, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Everything, that mess that you created yesterday and you drove us out, so you whipped some of us. Now all that that you did on Monday, who, who gave you this authority? 
And then let's see what he says because we'll trap him. And Jesus goes, okay, you got a question for me? I got a question for you. And if you answer my question, I'll answer your question. Question. John the Baptist, was he from God or from man? So the Pharisees, the religious leaders had to say, hold on, Jesus. <laughs> give us one second. We'll answer that. You ever seen Family Feud when the family gets together? They're like, give us one second. And they're talking amongst each other, and they're like, okay, he's pretty good. He's pretty good because if we say John the Baptist is from God, they'll say, how come you never got baptized and you didn't follow his orders? Okay, so we can't say he's from God because we dismissed John the Baptist, but if we say he's from man in front of this whole crowd, we'll lose the crowd because the crowd loves John the Baptist. They recognize he was a prophet. And so they're like, what do we say? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> you know, some of them are mad. They're like, oh, my God. And so Jesus goes, okay, cool. Then I'm not going to answer your question. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, you know the answer, but you don't want to say it. Because you know whose authority I'm under. And if you have to admit that, that means you must come under my authority. Basically, Jesus says, I've got a question. First question for us today. You can write this down. Who is your authority? Hey, humanity, who is your authority? Jesus is asking them and he's asking us a question today. Who's in the authority of your life? Who's ruling your life? Who's leading your life? Because some of us, we're ruling our own lives. We're the captains of our own soul. We're the masters of our own fate. And he's like, you know you can't not lead your own life because it will lead you to destruction. Oh, so they don't want to answer because if they answer, you must come under the authority of Jesus. And Jesus, he demands a response, not just verbally, but with our life. Jesus, his teachings weren't just nice things that he said. No, they demand an answer of our soul. He doesn't say, hey, I'm one of the ways to get to the Father. No, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And people always throughout his teachings, they go, by what authority does he do these things? He spoke with authority. He taught with authority. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin, they couldn't get it. They're like, no, he's disrupting our program. Many of us today, we run from Jesus because we don't want him to disrupt our fantasy world. No, I want to live my life however I want to live. And so they were trying to trick him. And so what we do is that a bunch of us, come on, humanity does this. We analyze and rationalize Jesus. There's a bunch of people today that they don't believe in Jesus, don't want to follow Jesus because they know it means submission to Jesus, surrendering to Jesus. So they'll start rationalizing. I don't know about Jesus. He said some things that were questionable. Oh, my God, they were harsh. I, I like following my own orders. And so Pastor Alistair Begg, he said this. We think to examine Jesus intellectually, but he turns things around, and he examines us spiritually. He turns the searching gaze on us. By whose authority are you under? Who's the authority of your life? Jesus demands an answer like, who's ruling your life? Who's ruling my life? How are we making choices? Who's the ruler of your life? Who's the authority of your urges, your feelings, your desires? Do you do whatever you want or do you have authority over you? Is it culture? Is it society that's telling us how to live? Who's the ruling authority? Today, humanity wants to do whatever they want to do in their own eyes. 
Oh, the religious people can't tell us who we marry and who we can't marry. They can't tell us what genders exist or don't exist. They can't tell us how we should raise our families. They can't tell me if I could or could not do because they're ruling their lives by their own selves. And this is how we all want to do it. Do not disturb. Do not interfere with my life. I'm the captain of my own soul. And so nobody can tell me anything, but Jesus shows up and he says, I am the authority. And if you choose me, I'll bless your life and I'll show you everlasting life. But if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, you're going to find some difficult times. And he goes on to say, Tuesday's full of teachings, and I'm just picking a few because there's so many parables that he taught on that Tuesday. But he goes on to talk about him as the chief cornerstone. And he says, I'm the cornerstone that they talked about in the Old Testament. And he says, and some people will build their lives on this chief cornerstone. Others will be crushed by it. Jesus is offensive. You either build your life on that rock or you stumble on that rock. I don't know if this rock is true. Jesus, the cornerstone. If he's the authority of my life, I submit and surrender my feelings, my urges, my desires to the ultimate authority, which is the creator God. And he rules my life. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and Sanhedrin, they could not do it. They're like, oh, he's interrupting our program. We're our own authority. We got religion under control. We got everything under control. Jesus don't come tell us what to do. We got politics under control. What they were doing is they were being prideful. And they were about to be crushed by the same Jesus they could build their life on. They knew who he was, but they couldn't surrender to that Jesus. Are you following along, Calvary? They couldn't surrender. Be careful with pride. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 tells us pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I'd rather surrender to the rock than be crushed by the rock. Today, some of us are dealing with pride and Jesus is asking, who is your authority? Who's leading your life? Who's leading your life? I just sense in my heart there's people in here today, you've been leading your own life and you've had that spirit. Can't nobody tell me nothing. I got this. But you know it's led to heartaches, headaches. Today, if you surrender, I'm telling you, you'll find life. You'll find peace. You'll find it's the best life. And he invites us, come on, come on. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Come to the living water. Come to the daily bread. Come on, he sustains our soul. Pharisees, Sadducees. The Sanhedrin, the political religious leaders, they're upset. The Pharisees had religion under lock. They wanted their way. The Sadducees, they were political leaders. Some of them didn't believe in God. That's, how, that's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> bad, bad joke. Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin was almost like the Supreme Court of the state. They got more questions. Now, they come up to Jesus. They come up to Jesus. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 through 22, a little bit more. It says, then the Pharisees went and they plotted on how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him another group of questions. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Then tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, he said, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Sweet, kind Jesus. <laughs> Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And G this is all Tuesday, third day, right before he goes up to the cross in a few days. Whose likeness and inscription is this? Meaning, what's the image on the coin? Verse 21, they said Caesar's. And then he said, 
Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are to Caesar, and to God the things that are to God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Okay, we're about to close. What is happening now? Okay, more stuff is happening. He teaches them parables. He says, you're like the ones that didn't take care of the vineyard and you killed the son of the vineyard. All that. He's teaching them parables with Matthew, Mark, Luke. You'll read all the parables that he taught them that day. But then they come with more questions. Hey, what do you do with this? Do you pay your taxes to Caesar? They're trying to trick him to see if he would dishonor Caesar. Because if he dishonors Caesar, they have a, a, a reason to murder him. Oh, what do you do? Do you pay taxes to Caesar, son of God? And Jesus is wise. And he's like, I've got a question. Whose image is in the coin? And they're like, Caesar's? Okay, then render to Caesar. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. What he's doing is a Hebraic way of teaching and answering. You answer a question with a question. And he's also, he's, he's tapping into what they know to be true. He's saying, if the image reflects the owner, then you give the owner what is to the owner. This belongs to Caesar, so you give it back to him. Don't try to trick me. I'll honor Caesar. But I'm made in the image and likeness of God, and so are you. You are made in his likeness, in his image. That means if you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, then you need to give to God what belongs to God, which is all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, because you're made in his image. You got the thumbprint of God on your soul. And they know it. Deep down inside, they know it more. On top of that, moreover, they know Jesus is the Son of God. They know that. And if they know that, they got to render their worship and love to God. But they won't because they're stuck in their pride. And he's like, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but you give to God what belongs to God, which is all of their souls, all of their lives. Basically, question number two is, what do you love? Jesus asked today, Who's your authority? Number two, what do you really love? The Pharisees, you know, they really didn't love God. What they loved was positions. They loved titles. Jesus confronts them all throughout the Gospels. He's like, you just want the finest robes, and you just want to sit in the very front row next to John and Adam, and you just want to sit right in the front row. You want to look good with your religious, superior, piety self, but you don't love me. Your hearts are far from me. You just want to show off. You just want to enslave people with religion. But your hearts are far from me. What do you really love? Because if you really love me, render to God what is to God. You're made in his likeness and his image. Your love, your devotion, your worship, your attention, it should be to the creator, the sustainer, the one who made us and created us in his image. All of my life, I surrender it to the one who made me. I didn't make myself. I don't know how to make humanity, but he made it. So I give him worship. I give him my love. I give him my attention. I give him all of my soul. Come on, today, humanity's arrogant. We can't even invent life, and yet we think we are the ones that we should worship. We are the ultimate authority, and we love positions, titles, money, salaries. He's like, you're loving the wrong thing. And he, he talks to them. They bring up, okay, in, if in the resurrection, what happens if somebody loses their, their wife and, or their husband, and the wife is left alone, and they ask him a bunch of questions. Well, who, do, who does she marry to in the afterlife if she married multiple people? He's like, you don't even read the word. That's how he answers it. If you will read the word, you will know we're not married in the afterlife. You're so far from me, you don't love me. You don't love me because you're not in my word. Come on, that's a confrontation for me. That's not a confrontation. You love me? When's the last time you read scripture? 
And so we just use church and God like a checkoff list on a Sunday so that we can feel good on Monday. And God's like, I want your heart. I want all of your devotion. And so they start like, this guy's talking. He's from another world. Yeah, absolutely he's from another world. He's the son of God. So one of the scribes comes up to him, Matthew chapter 12. We're about to finish. I know Tyler's been playing for a minute, but we're about to finish. Another scribe comes up to him and they say, Jesus answered. They ask him, what is the most important commandment? The scribe asked them. There's another question. And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. They keep trying to trap him. And how he answers is like, what do you love? You know the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all that you have. Do you do that? What do you love? He's, com he's confronting them on this day of Q&As. And then he's like, and if you really do love me, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. You know what that meant to Pharisees, Sadducees, and Sanhedrin? They needed to love Gentiles. They needed to love people that were far from God, did not look like God. You know what that means for us? That we can't pick and choose who can come to church and who gets love in our city. We're going to go through every street. We're going to go down every neighborhood. Oh, come on. The race does not matter. Color skin does not matter. Come on, Calvary. We're building a kingdom church. We're going to every street. We're going to every neighborhood. Come on. If we say we love God, we should love our neighbors. You know what we're doing? We're going to the human trafficking survivors and loving them. We're going to underprivileged kids all over the city and loving them. Oh, we can't just claim we love God. Otherwise, we'll be sad, you see, <laughs> Pharisees and Sanhedrin saying we love God. But what do you really love? You love events, concerts, performance? This is not this. This is a relationship with the all true living God. Who's your authority and what do you love? Jesus leaves the temple. His disciples are with him. Tuesday was a day full of events. You can do a whole Netflix series on Tuesday. <laughs> Jesus leaves the temple. As he's leaving the temple, the disciples start to look around. And remember, the temple is huge. It's beautiful. And they point out to Jesus, Jesus, do you see the temple? These things are amazing. Remember, they're still thinking that Jesus is going to be an earthly king. They're debating on who's going to be to his right, to his left. Who's going to be the chief press secretary? And who's going to be the, the, the staff one? And who, get, who gets the press conferences and all that? And Jesus is like, you see all these buildings? They're all going to be destroyed. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 2. Jesus left the temple going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. He answered them, you see all these, do you not? Always answering a question with a question. Truly I say to you, there will be not left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Okay, we're about to finish. What Jesus does then is he grabs his disciples, they go, and they literally sit down on the Mount of Olives. Leaving the temple, you go up this hill called the Mount of Olives. He sat there with them. It's literally a little hill with a bunch of olive trees. Jesus hung out there a lot. That's literally where he goes back to pray on Thursday night, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's there with his disciples, and he's like, you see all the temples and the buildings? That's all going to be destroyed. Tuesday evening, he goes into this teaching called the Olivet Discourse in theological terms. What it means is that there on the Mount of Olives, he goes into this long speech about the end of time. It's where we get our understanding about end times. And Jesus gives a bunch of end times, symbolism, stuff that we should look out for. And he's like, this is all going to be destroyed. And soon you're going to see there's going to be kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. A father's going to turn against a son. A son against the father. It's going to be horrible times in the end. 
but hold on because those who endure to the end will be saved. And then they go, oh, when is the end? And they're like, nobody knows the day or the hour. But if you live correctly, you're going to be all right. Who's your authority? What do you love? And number three, how do you live? How are you living your life? Hey, Peter. Hey, Matthew. Are you living for these temples and palaces? Guess what? They are going to be destroyed. This is Jesus telling them this in A.D. 33. Guess what? In A.D. 70, literally 30-something years later, Jerusalem was destroyed. Literally leveled to the floor. Some of the disciples were still alive. They're writing some of the letters that we have in the New Testament knowing that Jerusalem, and they're like, what Jesus said happened. Don't live for temporary empires. All of that will crumble. Don't live for the here and now. Life is much more than the here and now. We're living in the final days, whether it takes five days or 50 years, but we're living in the final days. You live for the here and now, your life will crumble. And all these Pharisees, Sadducees, Sanhedrin, they're all living for now. They're living for positions, titles. They're living for salaries. They're living for recognition. But the true gospel, the true religion is surrendering your life to Jesus and knowing no matter what happens on this side, I got a captain of my soul. I got a master of my faith. And he's got me. He's got me. Come on, church, as we are about to close out on this Tuesday, basically, that Jesus is teaching, how do you live? Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. All throughout scripture, we're warned and Jesus is warning us, hey, I'm about to leave, I'm about to be crucified, then I'm going to ascend to the Father. Watch, watch how you live. What are you living for? Today, have you surrendered the things of your heart? that are calling out to the affections of your soul. How do you live? Do you live after positions, titles, recognition, salaries? Or do you live saying, I, I don't care what happens on this side, I'm gonna endure to the end. And yes, life will get crazy, and yes, there'll be wars, and yes, there'll be earthquakes and famine. Jesus talks about all of this that Tuesday evening, and he says, you endure to the end, because I've got you. In this world, there will be trouble. But fear not. I've overcome the world. You know why most of humanity today is with anxiety and they can't get no sleep, they have no peace because we're looking at the world. If we look at the world, it will create anxiety. Oh, look at what's happening all over the world. Look, look at these wars. Look at the, all these, look at the stock market. That will rule your spirit. And if you're the captain of your own soul, it, it will lead you to a dark place. But if you say, he's the master of my soul, he's the captain, I got hope that surpasses this world. I got a hope that's beyond the stock market. I, like, I, got, I got a hope that's beyond a salary. I got a hope that's beyond anything in this world. I, my hope is in Jesus. And so number one, who's your authority? Number two, what do you love? Number three, how do you live? Jesus asked some tough questions on this Tuesday. And I think if we answer them correctly and we realize he is king and Lord of all, life will look much different. I'll finish with this one story. There's an author who wrote this book. His name was Armando, I believe. And he wrote this book called Against All Hope. And he wrote about the Cuban 
disaster that happened in the 60s and 70s as the communist regime was grabbing people and literally murdering people with firing squads. And there are eyewitness accounts of what happened toward the end of this regime. Some of that still exists today, obviously, and they would grab prisoners and literally take them one by one and, and kill them with a firing squad. They'll line them up against the wall and kill them because they were against the communist government. And he says that the soldiers will come in and they'll grab a prisoner and they'll begin to take them and they know that they're about to die. And he said some of the prisoners, as they were being let out, will begin to shout, Que viva Cristo Rey! Que viva Cristo Rey! And they'll shout it over and over. And it seemed like they had this courage and this bravery on the inside. And you can tell it, it bothered the soldiers. And so after some days, when they started grabbing some of these prisoners, what they began to do was to close their mouth, tape them, or gag them so they wouldn't shout, shout out these shouts of praise to Jesus. Because it bothered them on the inside because he's the ultimate authority. And you can try to ignore him all you want. Sooner or later, he'll confront your soul. And so they put tape around their mouths and so they wouldn't be able to shout out. Que viva Cristo Rey. How could they have this hope? Because they knew, shoot me if you want. My life is not for the here and now. I got life forevermore with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we shout today, long live King Jesus. Long live King Jesus. I don't live for temples. I don't live for this world. I don't live for money. I don't live for position. Long live King Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand up to our feet. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, we're leaving in just a moment. If you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, Maybe you're saying, how do I start a relationship with God? I'm so far from God. I got so much sin in my life. I've done things nobody knows about. God knows everything we've done, and he loves us still. He has to judge sin. He can't be with sin, but he loves you. The Bible says all of us are sinners. There's not one perfect person in this place. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong, thought wrong, said wrong, and our sin separates us from a holy God, but he's a loving God. And he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came, and he grabbed my sin and your sin. And on that Friday, which we'll remember a couple of weeks from now, on that Friday, he laid his life down, and he paid the ultimate price for sin because sin will eventually kill you. And Jesus says, I'll lay down my life. And the Bible says he carried all of our sins, all of our shortcomings. Every wrong thing we've done, said, thought, Jesus paid for it on that cross. The Bible says they put him in a grave. He was in a grave for three days. And Satan and demons and Pharisees, Sadducees, Sanhedrin, they all thought that they had conquered Jesus. But three days later, the stone was rolled away. And Jesus came up out of the grave. He is alive today. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the best thing you could ever put your hope and trust in. And so today, with eyes closed, Come on, in a moment of privacy and prayer, every eye closed, every head bowed. Today, if you're in here, you're saying, I need Jesus. I've tried the alcohol. I've tried all kinds of addictions. I've tried relationships. I've done it. I've done the money. I've done the houses. I've done it all. None of it gives me peace. Give your life to Jesus. Surrender everything. Not half of your life, all of your life. Alex, what does that mean? We'll help you along the way. But today, it means putting your faith and your trust in him. 
When every eye closed, every head bowed here in additional seating online, every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here and you say, Alex, I need Jesus, I'm going to count to three. At the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. If you're saying, I need forgiveness, I need to repent, I want to give him my life, I want to start brand new. I'm not going to call you out, I'm not going to embarrass you. Every eye closed. Come on, in a moment of privacy and prayer. When I count to three, if you're saying, I need Jesus, today I want to give him my life. You hold your hand up high enough, long enough for me to see you, and then you put it right back down. You're saying, I need Jesus today. I surrender my all to him. One, two, three. Raise your hand as high as you can. Raise it up, raise it up, raise it up. Hands everywhere. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you, I see you. God bless you. God bless you, God bless you. Amazing, amazing, amazing. God bless you like this. Amazing. You can put your hands down all over additional seating online. You tell us in the chats. We're praying for you. All of you who raise your hands, I want you to repeat this prayer with me. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so we're going to say this prayer out loud together. In fact, the whole church, come on in one voice. Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. Today I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. You died for my sins, and on the third day, you resurrected. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. From today on, come on, from today on, I'm saved, I'm healed, and I'm forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Hey, hands went up everywhere, everywhere. We want to congratulate you. We want to congratulate you on the best decision of your life. We have a Connect Tent outside on the way out. Go by the Connect Tent. You're going to see people waving these bags. It should be right in front of you as you go out. There's a coffee tumbler in there. There's a coupon for free coffee from Circle Cafe. There's a letter for me and Diana. More importantly, there's a Bible to help you understand who Jesus is. Pick it up. Don't leave this place without this Bible. It's a gift. Free gift. Free gift from us to you. Hey, man, come on. Can we give them a hand one more time? Hey. I apologize that we went a little bit over time, and so we're about to leave. We'll sing this song out one more time, and I pray you have the best week ever. Come on. He's our authority. He has our love, and by him we live. Amen? I pray you start inviting people for Easter. Take the 10 people that we're going to pray for list. Let's lift our hands. Father, we give you this week, our lives, our soul, all to Jesus we surrender. Jesus, you're awesome. Go before us this week, behind us, and surround us with your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on. All to Jesus I surrender. Come on. Hallelujah.